It is 9 a.m. on Wednesday, March 25th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report and update on the coronavirus situation in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. If you happen to miss the morning reports as they air live, you can also find them later on on our Facebook page. Yesterday morning, a stay-at-home order was issued for Boone County. Joining me to discuss this and much, much more are Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, which airs every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on KOPN. And also joining us by phone is Jenny Chadwick, Master of Public Health Professional and Community Advocate. Good morning, Elizabeth and Jenny. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you so yeah, much thanks. for uh, for joining us this morning. Um, maybe we should start off with yesterday's news of uh, the yeah, stay at home. Um, yeah. Do you want to do you want to tell us what exactly it means to for us to have to stay at home for this order to be yeah. issued? Sure, Jenny. Why don't you start with that? I know you've been really just um, swimming in the details of those things. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important for us to understand that, you know, stay-at-home orders across the country have looked a little bit different, right? And so depending on um, the community that you live in, and especially thinking about the listener area and those who might be tuned in online, um, really look at the specific stay-at-home order that addresses your region or your area. And as we heard, um, uh, Commissioner Dan Atwell and our mayor, Brian Treese, um, issued that stay-at-home order yesterday at 10 a.m. to the public, and it went into effect at 8 a.m. this morning. And so for the Columbia and Boone County region, you know, what a stay-at-home order means, I think, um, is confusing for people. They, they start to have fear and panic that they can't maybe go anywhere, that they can't drive to the grocery store without a, a letter that says, we, we can drive here. Um, but a stay-at-home order, it's, it's really encouraging us or, or forcing us to actually do what, as many people have said, we were already doing, right? We were already only making that trip to the grocery store when needed. Um, we're really being respectful of that six-foot distance um, between people while we're at the grocery store, but we're only going out for essential services and that any non-essential service in our community is closed for patrons, but employees can be working from home. And I think that um, you know, I encourage people, I know it's hard to do, but to actually read Ordinance 2003, which is the stay-at-home order for the City of Columbia. Um, I know we're reading a lot of information right now, but I think it answers a lot of the questions on what can and can't be done. You know, I was chatting with Dr. Alleman before the um, order went out, and I thought, you know, if you're in your personal mobile stay-at-home unit, i.e. your car, that should be okay. But the way that Columbia wrote the ordinance, they were actually pretty clear that they want you to be driving to that essential business and then be driving back to your home. So, um, you know, I think that I heard, you know, the radio segment yesterday that, you know, Elizabeth was saying, you know, as a state of Missouri, we are still at a place where people can go to clubs and um, movie theaters and bowling alleys. But, you know, we are encouraged, not restricted, but encouraged to keep that uh, minimum 10, maximum 10 people gathering, but there was not like a, an order issued. And yesterday's um, action by the city um, and really Stephanie Browning with the Columbia Health Department put that stay-at-home order in place. So do they have a way of enforcing this order? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, you know, that was a question that came up during the Q&A of um, the 
the um, press conference. And I think that people are fearful that like the police will actually pull them over to stop them. And, and you know, that's not what's going to happen here. The enforcement or failure to comply is criminal and can be fined um, and, or imprisonment or both is exactly how the ordin- ordinance reads. But the enforcement action will be taken on the business. And they, you know, and and they were very clear that the business would be issued a warning first that they would say, you know, this you you need to comply with the order twenty twenty o three to make sure that you are not. Um, I, like I think it's unclear for some people who's an essential business and who's not. I actually, you know, I, I went to um, Tiger Car Wash yesterday and got my car washed before the order went in place, and I thought. I wonder if this is going to be an essential business under the automotive repair services. You know, so I think that even I question, like, what's considered uh, essential business based on, you know, and they were really clear and tried to define as, as well as possible what is included in the ordinance or the order and what isn't. Um, but there's still a little bit of interpretation. You know, some people feared that we wouldn't be able to reach out to our internet service or our tech providers and and they made very clear to, clear in there that you know if you're providing um, communication services that you are considered a vital and and I think we would all agree right now we're so dependent right. on the internet and our cell phones and our computers right but the the, uh, the lack of clarity is around the edges with things like car washes but it's very clear down the center grocery stores Restaurants providing uh, takeout, um, uh, curbside pickup and delivery services, um, people providing our infrastructure, uh, health care. Those things are essential services, and doing those things and doing the travel required to do those things is absolutely um, uh, allowed and, I would say, encouraged. Like, let's do the things that we need to get done with as little contact with another person or another person's airspace as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are still asking me, what, what's the difference between going to the grocery store and um, and picking up your groceries? And it's because you're going to share the air with all the people who've been in there for the last three hours. So if you can stay out of buildings that other people have been in, that's going to be so helpful. Yeah, I'm a member of um, an Isles Online service. And, you know, they send an email saying, you can just pop your trunk and we'll drop it in. So, you know, I'm shopping online. I pay online. I pop my trunk. They drop it in. There's no human interaction there other than the contact that they've had with my product. Right. And we went over yesterday about reasonable washing and hand washing of those things. They do not need to be sterilized um, as long as it's unlikely that somebody sick has coughed and left droplets on there. So you're probably okay with those things and open water is your friend. But I want to make sure that we also talk, um, Jenny, about a few things. I want to, um, let's see, uh, Last yesterday we started out with numbers, and I'm just going to say they're higher today, and we're approaching half a million worldwide. And again, those numbers are 10 to 20 times, uh, uh, probably 10 to 20 times that many people. So we're looking at 5 to 10 million worldwide, uh, over 100,000 recovered. So those numbers just keep increasing. Jenny, I have lost track of what's going on in Boone County and Missouri. Are you paying attention to those numbers? Yes, of course. And I find that the best site to go to is Como.gov forward slash coronavirus, and they give you the latest numbers on what's going on in Boone County. And so right now we're at 20 confirmed cases in Boone County. And I think that what's really important is that we know that three of those 
um, cases are definitely community transmission. And right. so um, we know that there's travel-related transmission. We know that there's direct contract transmission. We know we, we're still investigating some of those. Um, it looks like one case is pending investigation, but it's clear that, that three of those cases were through community transmission. So um, Stephanie Browning at the press conference yesterday made very clear that, that we do have community transmission within Boone County. And then looking like across... Documented, the, and now we have it documented. Yeah. Yeah. And looking yeah. across the state, you know, one of the best places I find and, you know, it, it just varies. But I find that the Kansas City um, ABC Channel 9 has a really great interactive map where you can see the total number of cases by county. And, you know, we have about we have 114 counties in the state of Missouri and we now have COVID case 19 cases in um, over 30 of those counties with, you know, St. Louis County being the hardest hit with the highest number. And as of last night, that was 69. I'm sure that there's a more updated numbers. The numbers move so fast. So there's, but that doesn't mean that, you know, by percentage of population, Boone County is really up there. So we want to, you know, really recognize that, um, as a state, we have 255 reported now by the state health department and eight confirmed deaths, having the most recent two in Greene County, which is the um, Springfield area with the nursing home that's been hit hard with the COVID-19 virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, there are those special vulnerable populations, the homeless, the incarcerated, um, the hospitalized healthcare workers and um, folks in nursing homes. <clears throat> So um, I also want to talk about, let's talk a little bit about testing. You know, um, I think anybody who's been paying attention to what I'm doing and saying this, that I'm really so excited and such a, um, so pressing for more testing so we can know what's happening. We've accomplished my first goal, and that is to document that community spread is existing, and it is far less than I had feared. But it is here. And so if you were thinking, oh, as long as I didn't contact somebody who traveled or somebody who's got a documented case, I'm okay. No, we are spreading it from one person to another. I don't know the stories of these cases, and that's that I don't. But um, I'm going to guess there are people who had no idea they were sick and, and are probably have probably shared it with other people. So we just know that it's all the pe- it, it's potentially all the people now. It is it is we are still dealing with a very limited resource. So many people would like to get um, tested for peace of mind and just know that it's not going to give you any peace of mind. It's a snapshot of one day. So we can tell you whether or not we could um, identify, isolate COVID-19 from your nose today, but we can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. So um, I think that, so we, I still want to be testing uh, symptomatic uh, people and the the symptoms of that we're looking for are expanding every day. So now, in addition to cough, shortness of breath, fever, we also have gastrointestinal symptoms, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, uh, loss of smell or change in in the way food tastes. It, having t- food taste bland, also sore throat and muscle aches and chest tightness. And I will tell you that I've been testing these people and hearing these stories, and the vast majority are negative for COVID-19. And giving people their results and hearing this gasp of relief um, out-breath is, is really amazing. But I think that we're getting a little too fearful. Most of us are going to get it. And really what I want to test for is so we know who has it so we can help people figure out who they might have exposed and we can test those people when they become symptomatic as a priority. But the truth is we are going to likely, who knows everything changes every day, we are likely to move into a place where we're going to say we're not testing anymore except really sick people. 
And the reason why we're going to do that is we're going to really want all of us to change our thinking, to believe that anybody, you know, once the, once the incidence of this infection is high enough in our community, like happens every year with influenza, this is not flu, but there are some, some analogies that help, that we test for a couple of weeks and then it's like, okay, flu's here, we're just going to treat everybody who's got the matching symptoms with Tamiflu. In the same way, once we get enough community spread and, we, and our hospitals are full, we're going to need our our workers in the lab and the people who are trained to collect the samples to be focused on doing what they need to do to support the care of the very sick. So just all of us just know that there's going to be a time when we shift our thinking. Right now, I'm encouraging people with symptoms to call my office, 443-7070, or go online, www.dralleman.com. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-M-A-N. N.com. And there's a form you can fill out and get tested if you're willing. And then just know that there's going to come a time when all of your friends may have been tested and we're going to say, no, we're not testing people unless they're very sick. And, and just know that we're not trying to um, discriminate or deny care to anybody. We're just trying to make sure that the the very limited resources go in the place where we can use them the best. And at that point, when you start hearing that we're not testing as much, just know that we're presuming everybody with symptoms has it and everybody should act accordingly. Thank you, you know, for that I, clarification. Yeah, I think yeah. it was really interesting reading recent articles on Germany and South Korea, how you know they have a much lower um, rate of death in those who get COVID-19. And we really don't understand at this point how, why, where. Um, right. But there, there is some, you know, some documentation that they did early testing to identify who had it and try to break those chains um, by isolating. And so I think, as you said, Dr. Allman, going forward, there's going to be a point where we're just going to assume, like, we all have to be thoughtful about the fact that we've potentially been exposed and could be spreading the virus. And, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody who had been tested for potential um, infection. And, you know, I, 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 we had just read the Tribune article that came out that said, um, you know, that we have a kind of discrepancy in should you document anybody and contact anybody who has been in contact for 24 hours or should you do it for five days? And so I said, right. you know, just to be on the safe side, why don't you make a list of everybody who you are in contact with five days prior to symptoms and anybody you come in contact with since um, the symptoms, since you've been tested. And I think that, you know, that's as we are placed under the stay at home order, that's something that, I mean, we can all say, what can we do? You can keep a list of everybody you come in contact with for the previous five days of your life. And anybody you come in contact with, if you get sick, you know, so um, right. to really help us to, you know, epidemiologically track where this virus could potentially be. Right. Yeah. So just to be clear, what we're wanting you to do is to um, think about all the people that you contact on a daily basis um, as, as time goes forward. And if you start to get sick, go back and make sure that that list for the five days before is as complete as possible. And then you might want to reach out to those people and say, I don't know what I have, but I, I am a little sick. And just so you know, let's, let's pay attention. The thing is, I do want to say that there is something going around Columbia that is testing negative for flu and negative for COVID-19 and has many of the symptoms of COVID-19. Some people have all of them and people are a little 
um, disoriented, like I have all the symptoms, how can I not have it? But the truth is those, there are other coronaviruses that cause the common cold and cause other symptoms that can create this. So at this point, it appears that there is something else communicating through Columbia and us staying at home is going to stop that spreading too. So it's going to make things a little bit less confusing for us. You know, Elizabeth, as we talk about staying at home, you know, the Columbia Public School announced that they are not going to resume session now until April the 27th. And I think, you know, you and I both as, as parents of kids that are older now, you know, we're we're through this period of our time of our life, but I've heard a lot of parents say, you know, what do I do with my kids now? And, and start to like want to develop curriculum for them for for their education. And and right. I know that we can both speak to this, but you know, I now have a 20 and a 17 year old, and and in the early years, especially when they were younger, all the way up to the third grade, we adopted an unschool model of schooling right. that really it was a child driven of their interest. And I think that in this period of time, um, especially in this period um, where we, we all have a high level of anxiety and concern and we're trying to work from home and we're pulled in different directions, like kids are inherently sponges of knowledge and information. And, and I, I, I would say, you know, if you haven't looked up unschooling, Google it. Yeah. And really the summary of unschooling is live an interesting life and share it with your children. Um, and and just be very uh, have a have a confidence the fact that just like fish swim humans learn it's intrinsic to what we are and who we are and if you think that children are intrinsic learn, learners um, curse around them and hope they don't repeat it to your parents um, they pick up everything um, and so uh, and I was just thinking about this this morning it's like we are living in remarkable. Um, times. And so to begin to document this with any way that you could, so the older children could w- watch the the counts of cases and recovered, um, don't have them focus on the deaths. And they could understand, begin to understand the very real way the difference between arithmetic and logarithmic progression. Um, and to, to journal or to take pictures or to make art about what is going on. These are going to be valuable artifacts um, thinking about how valuable we would find um, those kinds of artifacts from the 1918-1919 Spanish influenza, especially from, I'm sorry, the influenza outbreak. It was not started in Spain. You see how these things happen. Um, anyway, so so please don't feel, if you are at home with your children, that you need to develop an academic curriculum to have them stay up with everybody. There isn't going to be a place where everybody is. We've all gone gone away, and now we're going to come together again, and school will be different. Um, and so I think there's this fear that if you don't have your children doing sitting and doing what looks like school uh, from 9 to 4, that they're going to be behind when they come back. And I just don't think that that – who knows what's going to happen, but I don't think that's a helpful um, – I think that's very burdensome. And I – would I plan on seeing if I can find some homeschoolers to have a longer conversation about that on your health matters as time comes up. I want to move to a really important thing about tobacco use. And I know, Jenny, that's right up your alley. You've sent me a um, uh, some some research about that over the last couple of days. And I'm wondering, do you want to speak about that or do you want me to? I would love for you to, Elizabeth. So here's the thing, quit smoking. And, and vaping, in my mind, is smoking. So if you are inhaling um, any uh, substance, whether it's tobacco or anything else, it's not helping your lungs. And um, the truth is that what we're expecting is that most of us will get exposed to this virus and most of us will get it. 
most of us will recover just fine. But those of us who are inhaling substances into our lungs are going to have a harder time with it. So we know that um, cigarette smoking and probably vaping too, it's very early research because we haven't been doing it for hundreds of years like we have with smoking, uh, suppresses the immune system. So yesterday I spoke briefly and I've been more uh, vocal on Facebook about the immune suppressive actions of alcohol and sugar. Tobacco does a similar thing. It also interferes with the ability of the lungs to clear themselves and to move the phlegm and the congestion out of the lungs. And so this is the time to quit smoking. And if you need help, I think, Jenny, do you have access to that um, list of resources? I definitely we can... can, yeah, share. You know, Ellis yeah. Fishall Cancer Center offers community classes to all residents. The Boone County Health Department has free counseling and NRT um, for individuals. We have a Missouri uh, State Quit Line that's available 24-7. So 1-800-QUIT-NOW is a resource for um, quitting. And, and, you know, we know, you know, and people in this community probably know, you know, I've been working on Tobacco 21 nationally for uh, many years, working across the country to raise the saleage of tobacco products. And, and the reason for that is that we know that once you start, it is so hard to quit, right? The average smoker makes mm-hmm. 10 quit attempts um, before they're successful. And so, you know, to say, like, quit now, I mean, that as the 1-800 number, quit now, we know it's not that easy, right? And so we you know, know it's, it's not that easy. Just like it's not that easy to give up uh, sugar and alcohol, although tobacco is far more um, far more difficult to quit. Yeah, and so um, and then you know we also know that we have a generation of kids that are addicted to Juul, right? And so the Truth Campaign has a um, a Truth Initiative. This is quitting program. You can text ditch. Jewel, so D-I-T-C-H-J-U-U-L, to 88709. So there, there is community resources. Just wanting to let people know that there is ways to, to, get, to get help in quitting the tobacco use. Um, but as Elizabeth said, you know, it's very early data, um, but we do see that there's a, a, a clear relationship between those who are smoking and the progression of COVID-19. So, Tim, I am aware of the time. I don't want to take too much time. Jenny and I have a longer list of things to do. Should we put those off for another day, or what What do you think we should do about time management here? Well, we can go on for maybe five more minutes if you'd like, okay. and, and we can pick up tomorrow. We'll be here every morning at 9 a.m., and I know there's always yeah. a lot to talk about, so we always have to. Right. You know, yeah. Elizabeth, one thing that I've seen lately is a lot of people have been posting about mask making, you know, and I, yeah. it's an area that I'm I'm interested in, I know my daughter's like, I got a sewing machine, I'm going to start making masks. And I was like, you know, is there a need? Do we need to wear it? I don't know. Um, I think the answer is this is an evolving thing. So so the first step, is, the first statement is that uh, homemade masks are not standard of care for medical use. So they do not perform the same way as the manufactured masks that are designed for that. We, we've tested them over and over, even the ones that are made out of, you know, having a non-woven filter in them. Um, they just don't perform the same. That said, um, we are... Our healthcare system is already feeling the stress of um, insufficient supplies. So um, I, uh, so we're going to have to lower our lower our standards. And I am begging everyone to make sure that as you see the healthcare that happens, realize that we're doing the best we can. And I hope that as we at the other end of this, when we are 
having to evaluate the care that's been that's been given, which we will do, that we um, recognize that we're working with lowered standards. So in healthcare, we've never been willing to compromise our standards, but now we're having to. So you're going to get mixed messages because we really have a hard time with the with the paradigm shift of, oh my goodness, we're going to do something less than the best we could do. So it's going to be or the best that could that would be possible in the best of times. So we're not in the best of times. So the very best use for these homemade masks would be to use them if you are a member of the public wanting to wear a mask and you have a manufactured mask, please go donate the manufactured mask to your to your nearest healthcare facility and make these masks for yourself to use if you are feeling like that's going to be helpful to you. Um, there are some people who are using the homemade cloth masks over their N95 masks, the, the ones that are used uh, that are um, designed for healthcare use with the idea that they may prolong the use of that so they don't all have to get thrown away with single use. Um, and then just stay uh, aware. Please do not take these to a healthcare facility without knowing that there is someone there who you have their name and their phone number and they have told you that they want this many of this design on this day because we don't want to create a burden to the healthcare system that now they have to figure out what to do with donated masks that they didn't ask for. Um, I am seeing online um, home birth midwives asking for masks and posting the specific uh, um, designs they want. So if you get a specific request like that, please start sewing um, or stapling. I think there are some that you can make out of paper. Um, so that's kind of where we are with masks is that if you're feeling like you would wanted to use one, please go for it. If you get a specific request, please do it. I have made a specific request to a seamstress and those are being made for me, but I am not asking the rest of you to make me masks. I've got, I've got that handled. So Can I, one last thing before we wrap yeah. up, I know that everybody's really concerned about the stay at home order and what that means yeah. to, to pay their mortgage and to you know, make rent right. or buy groceries. Um, yes. And, you know, the information is coming in on what made it into that U.S. stimulus package, but it sounds like, you know, the Senate has come to an agreement. And, you know, all of my news is not coming from anything other than news sources that, you know, the general public has access to. But, it, you know, the New York Times reported that it looks like the final measure has significant expansion for unemployment benefits that would extend unemployment right. insurance by 13 weeks and include four weeks of an enhancement for benefits. Um, and so, I mean, they're still trying to finish the agreements last I read, you know, but and and then in the interim that lawmakers agreed to a $1,200 direct payment to anybody who has an income under 75000 and then that starts to phase out of, with income up to 99000 and then $500 per child. Again, you know, this is information that we're getting um, through national news sources as it's being available on what exactly is in that U.S. stimulus package. But, um, you know, I think I am hopeful that the government will, um, the federal government in this $1 trillion stimulus package will um, try to help families through this situation as we are all fearful. Yes. And I want people to know that tomorrow my guest is Connie Burnham, who is an expert in emergency preparedness, so we can cover that a little bit better tomorrow. Um, my guest tonight on Your Health Matters is um, Anna Hulbert, who's been a guest on the show before, and we're going to be talking, going to get a little bit of an insight, a personal perspective, what it's like inside the university hospital um, with a lot of uh, with a lot of vagueness because she needs to protect everybody's privacy. And then we're going to dive deeper into opiate use disorders and um, 
using opiates for pain control. So um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And I want to leave people with, a, again, a reminder that because you're alive and you can hear this, your body has successfully handled uh, the onslaughts of viruses, bacteria, and uh, protozoa for the entire duration of your life, and it is likely to handle this one as well. So um, thank you, Tim, for, for having us on this morning. Of course. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman and Jenny Chadwick, for joining us here on Community Pulse. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Once again, you're listening to KOPN Columbia. I want to remind our listeners that if you have a message you'd like to share or a question for Dr. Alleman regarding the coronavirus situation here in Mid-Missouri, you can call KOPN's office 573-874-1139 and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you, and if appropriate, we may air your message or your question in future broadcasts. Again, the number to call to leave a message is 573-874-1139. Thanks for tuning in to Community Pulse, your local report and update on the coronavirus situation. Here in Mid-Missouri, we'll be bringing you a new update each weekday morning at 9 a.m., and we'll be posting it later on on Facebook. Um, I do want to let our listeners know that later on this afternoon, from 3 to 5 p.m., we will be airing a special Café Berlin benefit CD in its entirety. Uh, The compilation is called A Lord's Work, and it's a benefit... um, for the workers at Cafe Berlin who are out of work. Cafe Berlin is our longtime supporter um, here at KOPN and encourage you to tune into that. It's full of uh, local artists and regional artists, all, all of whom have played at, at Cafe Berlin stage. So thanks for listening and stay tuned. Coming up next is Background Briefing, and at 10 a.m. we have local news and social artistry.